Hey, hi. Is this your first time here? Welcome. It's the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. Is it not your first time? Well, welcome back. Glad you're here. I'm going to talk to you today about getting fired, getting hired, having a job, losing it, that sort of thing. Of course, it's a story about the past. It's autobiographical, totally true, and it's short. It's almost over, and I haven't even started reading it yet. I want to say thank you. If you're a new listener, if you're an old listener, if you're just going to listen one time and then never come back, whatever, thanks. We're glad to have your attention. Um, We're selling shit, commerce, you know, that sort of thing. There's not really anything in it for us. There's no financial benefit. It's just, uh, you know, who doesn't want a pair of underwear with a microphone over the codpiece or a t-shirt that says, you know, you listen to some fucking show on the internet, right? Well, that stuff's all there under the capitalism tab on our website. It's uh, raisedbywhoops.com. I hope you've been enjoying uh, Glenn's episodes with white dudes who play music. We've got uh, more variety coming up. It's not always going to be just white dudes. Not always going to be just music. Yeah, and more stories. Lots of things on the horizon. Many, many things. Hope you're doing well. As always, if you got a story to share, we want to hear it. I'm going to get right to it. Super fired. Until next time, enjoy. Television and movies tell us when someone loses their job, they either get what they have coming or they got wrongly sacked by some capricious prick. In either case, the boss, confident, righteously indignant, or possibly just angry, drops the questionable employee like a brick. That employee might say something like, You can't fire me, I quit. But it usually goes well for the boss. It all seems so easy, so charged with electricity and exciting. My experience with the phenomena has been less straightforward, not exactly electric, and exciting for all the wrong reasons. In a working life that has included roughly 40 different jobs, I've only ever been fired from one of them. It was not exciting. In fact, I didn't even get the pleasure of hearing the words, you're fired, at all. It was a contract gig where I worked for a company that serviced many clients in the expo industry. Thanks to an admittedly ill-advised text message to a client which simply read, that was singularly inconsiderate. I was blacklisted and never asked to work again. However, as an employee elsewhere, I've been privy to several co-workers getting the axe. The first time I saw someone fired, I was working as a photographer in Mississippi. It was a fun gig, especially for a 16-year-old. I traveled from town to town, taking photos of weddings, sorority parties, cheerleading camps and competitions, marathons, and graduations. It cured me of any desire to join a fraternity when I made it to college. For sure, it also soured me on weddings for years. I've hated the Van Morrison song, Brown-Eyed Girl, for decades, a regrettable staple for wedding DJs and cover bands in the southern U.S. Honestly, I'm lucky not to have been fired from that gig. I was totally out of control, often getting drunk, flirting with every woman I could, including clients, and experiencing my fair share of post-work entanglements with a few of them. The guy I saw get fired was a friend and involved in the same crazy infraction as I was. He got canned, and I got a slap in the wrist. Was it fair? Yes and no. First, I'll tell you about what we did, 
and then how my boss, a hilarious guy called Robert, handled the firing. So my pal and I were hired to shoot a party for a local college where the sorority sisters and fraternity brothers of two absurd organizations decided to drink, dance, and hopefully get laid. I'd been working for the company for a few years. I was a senior in high school, 18 dumbass years old. My friend was a year older and was a college freshman. Naturally, we both started drinking right away. The gig required a certain social boldness. A little booze made that easier. Equipped with a 35mm film camera, a flash, and a dozen rolls of film, it was our job to approach the partygoers and coax them into photo-perfect moments. No blinking. We got paid by the roll, so it behooved us to be bold, not annoying, and constantly on the prowl for photo-worthy moments. I think we were pretty good at it. Now, while I was a flirt, my friend was much bolder and could close the deal. He called me over to a table. He was laughing with two young women. He was sitting really close to a pretty blonde with dimples and a wry smile. They were clearly connecting, already touching each other's hands and shoulders. They introduced me to her friend and roommate. In the interest of not being unkind or critical to this friend or myself, let's just say sparks ultimately failed to fly between us. After several hours of work and drink, the party wound down. We, on the other hand, were wound up. I managed to fill quite a few rolls at 36 frames each. My friend had done less than half of that. I drove us to the gig, and while I was a little buzzed, I was straight enough to get us back to Mississippi from Memphis and was ready to go home. My pal in the cute blonde had other plans. He looked at me with all the grim intensity of a football coach saying, She wants me to come back to her dorm room. Let's go. Can't she take you? I'll come back and get you in the morning. No way, man. She didn't drive either. They got a ride from a friend and she's already gone, so they need a ride back. It's perfect. You can hang out with the roommate. He had noticed that the roommate was about as attracted to me as a cow is to a leather wallet. Uh, but I'm nothing if not an ardent supporter of the desperate need for female affection. So I gave in, saying, fine, I'll give him a ride. The two of them made out in the back seat the whole ride while we listened to the fucking Dave Matthews band at top volume to avoid having to listen to red-hot lip-smacking behind me or converse with the justifiably annoyed young woman in the passenger seat. We had to sneak into the dorm room as male visitors in the middle of the night were frowned upon for obvious reasons. As it happened, our sneaking was not exactly sneaky or successful. Once in the room, my friend and the blonde dove under the sheets of her small mattress. The roommate and I awkwardly sat a few feet from each other on her bed as the blankets across from us writhed and tumbled like water boiling in a pot. So, um, what's your major? I asked. Before the poor girl had to answer that idiotic question, my pal popped his head out of the sheets like a gopher checking for the farmer's dog and pleaded, Hey man, you got any condoms? The roommate silently winced and stiffened even further. Uh, no, I don't. I turned to the frozen roommate and furthered my idiot's inquiry. Do you? With only the tiniest movement of her head and narrowing of her eyes, she managed to unmistakably communicate, Are you fucking kidding me? My pal's head popped back into the mound of sheets. Terse negotiations followed a bit more tussling. I could hear whispers, heavy breathing, and then a strained silence. The pot had been yanked off the burner. His head popped out again from the sheet pile. We're leaving. 
I've seldom felt the more profound sense of relief. I thought the matter over, but, as usual, I was totally wrong. The following week, I was in my boss's office when he called my friend on the phone. We'd been seen leaving the party with the two girls, then seen again arriving with them at the college. The same virtuous sleuth watched the four of us as we entered the dormitory, then again as two of us left less than 20 minutes later. This was enough for the college to demand action from the company. For whatever reason, the move was to fire my friend and take me off duty for that particular sorority. I'm guessing it had something to do with the limited number of shots taken by my pal. But the firing was smooth, calm, and understanding, but emphatic. My friend took it well and thanked our boss for the opportunity. After the call, my boss looked at me and said, Well, you can't polish a turd. Funny, but uncharitable. From then on, the fraternity brothers referred to me as the Shacktographer. A stupid name, and one I didn't even earn. Firing looked easy. You could even do it over the phone. But when it came time for me to sever ties with an employee, I had no such luck. Many years after listening to the photo boss let go of my friend, and after having witnessed lots of other employees lose their jobs in various ways, some more dramatic than others, my time arrived with a sickly feeling in my guts. As you might have guessed, I'm not cut out for it. My laissez-faire style of management was really a cloak to hide an ego too sensitive, insecure, and desperate to be liked to deliver the cold and indifferent hand of command. Honestly, I shouldn't have been at the helm in the first place. But there I was, facing an employee who needed to go, and I had to be the one to do it. Of course, it was a young guy, not much older than my friend, who was so amicably fired over the phone that I needed to send home for good. After months of warnings about his performance, he gave me the ultimate excuse to let him go. The ace card for all managers looking to rid themselves of a lackluster employee. A no-call, no-show. I waited for him to show up for work the next day, positioning myself by a window and watching the traffic for his beat-up car to hit the parking lot. As fate would have it, he was on time for the first time in weeks. Before he could meander into the building, confident he'd be clocking in and trudging through his work, I intercepted him on the sidewalk and asked him to join me at an outdoor table. Incapable of hiding my intent and not wanting to waste any of his time, I blurted it out as soon as we sat. Man, I hate this, but I'm letting you go. It felt as stupid to say it then as it does right now. I've never been the type to rehearse what I'm going to say in the future, and it shows. Letting you go is the same as putting an animal to sleep, a feckless and insincere softening of a harsh and bitter pill that's best swallowed quickly and whole. His smile fell apart, and his eyes changed from a confident young man's to a sad old boy's. But why? he asked me in disbelief. Not once in all the firings I'd witnessed had anyone asked that question. It seemed even when a surprise at least understood by the fired employee. It was my turn to change eye tones, shifting ever so slightly from mildly insecure man-child to totally insecure man-child. Squirming uncomfortably, I thought, if I was going to be this soft, I should have poured the kid a beer first or said almost anything else before pulling the trigger without aiming. Better yet, why hadn't I been more forceful and taken charge of the moment? I had no great one-liners like my old boss in Brooklyn, who once fired a guy in front of me by calling him into his office 
shaking his hand with a smile while saying, Tony, your services are no longer needed. Please see Kathy in accounting about your paycheck. It was fast like a guillotine, painless and smooth. By the time the guy realized what was happening, his head was in the basket and his body was on the way to see Kathy in accounting. In contrast, my attempt was more like trying to kill a mouse with a brick. Clumsy, painful, and demanding multiple strikes before the deed was done. And like a trapped animal, the poor guy started crying and pleading that I change my mind. He was shit at his job. That much was true. But had I done enough to warn him beforehand? Come on, no call, no show equals no job, right? My mind was made up. Policy dictated letting him go was the right decision. But I'd managed to fuck up the moment and everything just felt wrong from there forward. My hand-fisted attempt to calm him down and assure him he'd do well elsewhere was so weird and out of sync with reality that it gave the whole affair that squeaky church fart variety of tension. Eventually, he gave up, dragged himself back to his car, and left. Since then, I've not had to fire anyone. In fact, I haven't had anyone to fire. I've mostly worked alone for the last decade. No team, no management structure, and only myself to blame for the countless fuck-ups and missteps. It's better this way, as I might just be categorically unemployable at this point. Some men are born leaders. Others are born to follow. The rest of us, we're just born weird, wandering from gig to gig, awaiting the pointless glory of the next project. Never hired, never fired, only rented for the moment, like a tool or a bowling shoe.
Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that episode, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have a story to share or a guest to recommend, you can reach out to us via the website, which is raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks, and take care.